Hey there, welcome to another episode of Bill Selleck Talks. My name is Bill Selleck. This is me talking. So, my phone's doing a new thing in the car. When I connect it, it auto-connects via Bluetooth, and now, maybe half the time, the music app will open and a random song, a shuffled song, if you will, will you? I think you just did, because I'm going ahead. A random song will just play. Um, and so like a weird B-side for like a Tom Petty song came up and I was like, let's skip that. I actually just want to get to a podcast. And then a song from a bad astronaut album came up. And I was like, what? Listen to most of the album. And there were all kinds of thoughts and feelings and connections. And so I'm going to talk through the idea of creative rigor again from a slightly different angle because i think we need to like rebrand music as like this fun extra thing and look at it as this like deeply analytical skill set that works not just for music but like applies to all kinds of things like i'm so grateful as director of technology and before that as an elementary teacher that i had a music degree because i think the way you approach problems, the way you approach learning and like a bias towards creativity and that word creativity, creating the bias towards creating things with students, um, is amazing. Like I am so, so grateful for, um, like not only my music education and my undergrad in music, but for how I kind of continue to see the world. And I think that we are missing, a huge boat. Like there's this massive potential for students to be creating stuff and for us to have really high expectations for what that can look like. And when you kind of reverse engineer that lesson plan, you end up with like really, really, really rigorous, high expectation lesson plans. So before I jump into that much farther, I worked at Orange Whip Recording Studio in Santa Barbara. I think it was like 2001, 2002. I've talked about it a few times on this podcast. Um, And during that time, I was an intern, which meant I got paid in studio time, which is how, if you listen to the Rising Decline retrospective, how that 15-song album got made. It got made because I had access to a recording studio and I got paid in studio time, which meant that most of that album was recorded from 10 p.m., to 10 a.m. I talked about it for quite a while during that uh, 30 podcast episode series. So go back and listen to that at some point. If it doesn't show up on your podcast feed, um, it's on my website, just bullselleck.com. There's a page with all those links, which I know is a little bit more annoying. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, While I was at Orange Whip, I did all the intern things you would do. And one thing you likely don't know is that in a recording studio, you get to just sit in the control room and listen, sometimes participate, but usually just listen and, um, and observe how stuff is set up, um, for big setups. And there's a whole band, you know, as intern bill, I would go in and set up all the microphones, which for drums alone is going to be at least a dozen microphones at least maybe sometimes closer to like 20 microphones you know because you have like well you don't know so i'm telling you you have like two for the room two for the overheads uh 
two for the snare, one for the hi-hat, the toms, the do-do-do-do-do, those things, those get one, sometimes two. Um, the kick drum has two, sometimes three microphones, and that's just kind of the minimum. You know, any kind of specialty things or kind of fancy whatevers, you're, you're going to set up additional stuff, and that's just the drums. So, you know, some of the more, like, musical things or, like, audio engineering things they would do as intern bill would be, you know, kind of setting all that stuff up before the engineer that actually got paid would show up. And then they would, you know, fine tune it and be like, Oh, you put the, you put the bottom of the snare drum microphone like that. And then you rotate the snare drum so that the microphone is in alignment with the snares. Um, snares are like kind of chain mail that actually push against the bottom drum head. So when you hit it, it makes like a thwack snare drum sound. Um, and not just a doom doom because when the snares aren't engaged the snare drum sounds like doom but you put the chain mail thing the snares on it and it's like a thwack um you know so like i learn all those little things but for the most part it's just sitting in the control room the control room is the room with all of the recording gear so the mixer with all the the buttons and dials um the computer the computer monitor the audio monitor and depending on your studio there's two or three different sets of monitors that sound slightly different so you can toggle between like the big speakers that are as big as like a 70 inch tv you know so there's two of those in like legit studios um and then there's one or two um smaller monitors of the size of um like a slightly bigger than a loaf of bread standing upright um all of the other gear like the compressors the the way that you get the stuff into the computer um all of those input output the ios and patch cables and stuff that's all in the control room um the actual loud instruments so guitar amps drums people singing um anything that you need a microphone on is in a separate room with typically two sliding glass doors between them so the sound is completely isolated and then most of my time at Orange Whip was just sitting in the control room. So I got to just hear people as they record, hear conversations in the control room. Um, so as you're recording drums, the whole band is in the big recording room. And then just the engineer is in the control room. And I would be intern Bill in the back. Um, if someone's recording vocals, they're in the control, you know, they're in the, the recording booth in the big room or in a smaller room. And then um, the engineers in the control room recording. And sometimes it's kind of going back and forth. Let me sing through it five times. And then we'll listen to five takes and pick which syllable we like the best. Um, and so there's one song in particular that, that really stuck out to me as I'm driving into Hillbrook. And um, this was actually a conversation that I took part in. A lot of times I would just listen, learn, get my mind blown pretty regularly. Um, and, and so there's this one lyric and I'm going to just play it for you. So this is from their second album, Houston, We Have a Drinking Problem, which is such like such a good title. Um, and the, the band Bad Astronaut. So um, let me let me play the song, then I'll tell you a little bit about kind of the personalities with it. So the song is Another Dead Romance. Here's the part that, uh, that I'm going to kind of riff on. All I know is that I'm stoked. All I want's another second chance Another dead romance Alright, so the lyric is 
all I know is that I'm stoked. Now that lyric <laughs> took like almost a week to finally land on. And, uh, and the actual discussion was maybe like 20 minutes of like going back and forth about what it should be. So the band, uh, probably the most notable person in it is Joey Cape. Uh, he's best known as the singer of Lagwagon, which at the time was one of my favorite bands. Um, the band I was playing with at the time, Rise and Decline, was, um, was, how do we put it? Like inspired by, could have opened for, like kind of in alignment with like, it was punk rock, but it was um, pretty intricate. Like the music that was happening was not just, let me play a couple chords and you can learn this song in five minutes if, you, if you've been playing guitar for a year. I was like, no, no, no. Like there's some pretty intricate musical theory going on in this music. Um, and so Joey was the singer. It was his band. Got to record, got to help record, got to mostly just honestly sit in the back of the room and listen to him record vocals. He also played guitar. Um, Tom Flowers, helped engineer, also played guitar on it. Um, and then Derek was their drummer. They tracked drums earlier at a different location. And so we just kind of had the drums ready to go. Um, also got to work a little bit with Todd Caps, who was playing keyboards, and then Marco, um, who played bass guitar. And uh, you might know Marco from the band Sugar Cult, maybe. Anyway, he was in that band. He was famous in that band at the time. Um, so that was the band. And then Angus Cook, who owned Orange Whip, also played cello and was also the main engineer. So that was the band. Um, and Joey had written most of the songs, had written, I think, all the lyrics. But this one lyric, all I know is that I'm stoked. That took a long time. He didn't know quite what to say. He knew it wanted to, to like end in like an, and like an, Oh, kind of sound that was embarrassing to say, but we're going to not edit that out. I didn't know what it was. And so there was like lots of discussion. Angus was recording. So he was in all the discussion. Um, you know, Tom would kind of come and go as the guitarist would sometimes be there, sometimes recorded his other music in one of the smaller studios, um, just kind of all over. Todd was there playing keys, but wasn't there most of the other time. So he was like, I don't know what the lyric is. And kind of at one point it was all I know is that I'm broke. I'm broke. And we're like looking at the theme of it. Like, what does it mean? And he was like, that I'm stoked. And and that's when I jumped in. And again, as intern Bill, I was normally just silent in the background. I was like, stoked. Like that's, I have a strong opinion that stoked is the right word to end it on. And Angus was like, I don't, I don't know. Like, you know, we just went round and round and round. And it was like, that just makes it like, you know, it's the title of the song is another dead romance. Like I'm stoked, but I was like, yeah, like you're stoked. Like it's, it's sarcastic. It's very like California where the beach stoked, like a bunch of us at the studio would say stoked a lot. Um, like you could respond stoked to almost anything and it would either be like authentic, like dude, I brought you a taco and you're like stoked. Like, dude, I just got dumped. And you're like, Oh dude, like I bet you're stoked. Um, you know, it could be like this sarcastic, you know, facetious kind of thing. Like, I don't know, just when I heard it, I was like, that makes, that makes so much sense. Like that captures, that captures the mood of the song that captures what we're trying to like internalize as a listener. I think like that was, that was my vote. 
And Angus is like, no, like that's, that's lame. And Joey was like, yeah, like there's something to it. And so, you know, they tried like 10 different words. The, the two that stick in my mind are broke and stoked. It was also like completely different words, you know, is that like, is that I'm sad? Is that I'm mad? Um, but you know, like as we look at, at this idea of, of songwriting with students or just music in general, even just creativity in general as educators, like the conversation we had around this one word, what's the, the theme of the album? What's the theme of the song? What do we want people to feel in the song? What do we want them to think when they hear the song? What, um, what phoneme do we want? It was like an O sound. So what, like that limits a lot the kind of words you can say, like what, you know, what's like the vibe of the band, of the song, of the, just there's, there's countless factors that you have to decide on. And ultimately it's a creative one. And then it was, all right, like, let's try stoked. And Joey sang it for maybe an hour. That line you heard, all I know is that I'm stoked. Probably took an hour to record that one line. And it was maybe half an hour just for the word stoked. You know, because then you're, are you like stoked? Are you like stoked? Are you like stoked? And then also the timing has to be right because it's music. <laughs> you can't be early or late. And then the pitch has to be right. It can't be sharp or flat. It has to be like perfectly in tune. So you have to get like the right vibe, the right inflection, the right timing and the right pitch. And one of those things, like you hear the music or, you know, particularly if you hear like Lagwagon, they're just like a very loud, very fast punk rock band. I think it's so easy to dismiss this type of music as just as loud punk rock music and nobody's talented and nobody cares. But like the amount of conversation, conversation and thought and detail and care that goes into like every syllable, every word, every, um, like every bit of every recording is like so carefully thought of. Um, and often people will come into a studio and be like, all right, like the lyrics are done. I just need to record them. So let's care about like kind of um, the, the presence, kind of the, the tone of your voice. Um, let's get the pitch right and let's get the tempo right. And that's usually all you need to worry about when you're recording vocals. It's getting like the right kind of feel, but then technically it needs to be pretty much perfect but in this rare case it was also like let's talk about the word like what's the right word because i don't think what we came into the studio with has the right word and of the whole album i only remember this one word really being kind of up for grabs the rest of the album like every single lyric was done and i love that so much as an educator that such care can go into crafting a song and that the one detail of this one word can be like this deeply creative process. And so if we take just a step back with our educator hats on and we look at like what's possible for students, my goodness, could you imagine students having a conversation this in depth about one lyric for one song they're working on? Like that's, that's called critical thinking. And as educators, as school institutions, we often say like, we want critical thinking. And if we're teaching critical thinking, our kids will be successful in life and on testing. Um, but then far too often lessons are, I'm the teacher, 
here's what we're going to learn. Let me do it for you. Let's practice it together. Now go practice on your own. And then show me that you know it in some sort of assessment. This is so much, so much teaching. And I'm not advocating for all day, every day needs to be songwriting. Like that doesn't make any sense. But I think that when you hear stories like this and you're an educator, there's this sudden realization of like, oh, we actually can do creative things, movie making, blogging, photography, in this case, songwriting, and we can have a deeply rigorous conversation around what that looks like. And I think that is so deeply underestimated in the institutions of education that things like let's write a song. I think that so often gets dismissed as that's fun and silly and not academic. And I, I think I'm going to keep coming up with examples for you of how songwriting in particular is a deeply rigorous activity when you're doing it well. Now you could just record whatever and like in one take have vocals that are out of tune, out of time, aren't particularly um, evocative if anything, don't make you as the listener feel or think anything. You could super easily write whatever song very, very quickly with students that just is bad. But to actually communicate something and make someone feel something, think something or learn something, that that is like a powerful thing. And you know, like take a moment here and just think of like a song that matters to you. Get a song stuck in your head. I'm going to give you about five seconds here, okay? So that song, like that song means a lot to you. You you can like feel something in your body, like in your bones. You can feel something about it, can't you? Right? Like music can touch us in a way that, that almost nothing else in our lives can. And at the very least, like certain songs will always hold a special place in our memories, in our hearts, in our minds, in our, like, in our beings. Like there are songs, and the song's probably from when you were in high school. I wish I had known that and been like, whatever music I'm listening to now, I'm going to love for the rest of my life. Um, but we can take that idea and know that some music will like deeply, deeply resonate with our students. And if we give them space in our schools, and in our school day and in our classes to actually work on their own creative things, we can actually push them really hard, even without like a music degree. You don't need this to actually look at someone's lyrics and be like, what about this word? Is that the right word? Or what are you trying to do with this word? And you can, you can do like a deep, deep dive into that one word from that one lyric of that one song that that student or that group of students wrote. There's, there's like so much potential to have like deeply interesting conversations with students. I'm going to connect this to one more thing and then we're going to wrap up this episode. Um, during our school's Reach Beyond Block, which for our middle school students is every Tuesday afternoon and for our younger learners is every Thursday afternoon, um, the point of Reach Beyond Block connects with our, our school's mission and vision for students to reach beyond themselves and make a difference in the world. That's what we say our school exists for. And so we have time in our school day where students can actually 
spend time to reach beyond themselves and make a difference in the world. And this looks very different for different lessons for different groups. And so I'm helping Josie Ann for kind of part of Reach Beyond Block. Uh, she's an extraordinary Spanish teacher. And we actually took a template from um, Adobe Creative Cloud Express. If you've not jumped into this recently, oh my gosh, check it out. Like, pause me now and, and set yourself a little reminder with Siri to like check out Adobe Creative Cloud Express. Um, so my friend Tanya Avrith actually published this template. She's um, She works with Adobe Education. And then the example is actually with a friend and a previous presenter at ISTE conferences, Rebecca Hare. Um, she gives us this great tutorial about like taking a selfie and then there's graphics around you. So it's kind of an infographic-ish of what matters to you. So there's a great template about that. It was the Adobe um, Educator Challenge from last January, January 2022. In this lesson, you could knock out in like half an hour with middle school students. Take a photo of yourself, edit this template, you're done. But we're actually stretching it out. Reach Beyond Block is from after lunch until school gets out. So it's like a solid two-hour block. So we're actually stretching it out for two hours for three separate weeks. So instead of being like, let's fly through it in, in half an hour, we're actually extending it to six hours. And I'm trying to take this approach to creative rigor and apply it to that. Like, sure, take a picture of yourself, you're done in like 20 seconds. What does that look like if you spend half an hour and like really try and get an interesting shot? Go to our outdoor stage, jump off, do that 10 times. Have a classmate get a photo of you jumping 10 times. Find the one that works. Remove the background. Is that a clean background removal? Which, by the way, is one tap on an iPad in a web browser in Adobe Creative Cloud Express. Dude, dude. No, okay, your hand was actually moving too much. Go back and do it 10 more times. Like, really trying to get just like a solid photo of yourself. Is it a selfie? All right, so let's play with the the sun. You know, we're out, we're outside. You don't know, but now you know. We're outside. Safer students have way more room to move around. So we're, we're outside. The sun's behind you, all right? So you're backlit. Like, what does that look like? What if the sun's facing you? What does that look like? If we tap on photo, edit, remove background, and go to duo tone, what are the two colors? Like, how do you color the shadows and the highlights? Is it like yellow and pink for your face? Is it going to be like a blue and a purple? Um, you know, there's just, there's, if you really stop, you can really go deep into just, not just take a selfie, move on, finish the project, but like, what's your style? What do these colors mean to you? Are you jumping? Is it like, just your head? Is it your head and your shoulders? Is it your whole body jumping? Is it your body hanging from a tree as you're like holding on like a, you know, <laughs> like some sort of like chimpanzee or something? One of our students did that. He like climbed a redwood tree and, and hung from like 10 feet off the ground. They took a picture of him. Um, like, is that your style? Is it just a headshot? Like really taking the time to, to demand creative rigor of our students. I think is something we can be doing. It's something we should be doing. And it just takes, I think, the pause to go really deep into a thing. Whether it's let's take a selfie and make it last half an hour instead of half a minute. Or let's find that one lyric. Is it stoked? Is it broke? What Like, what is it? And why are you going to pick that word? And what does it mean to you? And what do you hope it means to others? I think that there are countless examples for educators to be able to do this with students. And I challenge you, like in your classroom, in your school, in whatever role you're in as an educator, 
where are those moments where you can like slow way, way down and go way, way deeper in this one thing to really challenge your students to think critically, to really think about their audience, to think about what they're trying to communicate and then what they need to do visually or orally that will make that impact. I really think there's something there. I'm calling it creative rigor. Um, and I challenge you to do that. If you do that, like, dude, reach out to me. Um, dude, stoked. Let me know. Like, what do you, you know, do you have good examples of this? Cause I, I really feel like there's something here with creative rigor. And I think we can do so much more for our students in ways that are creative, that let them create stuff, that let them write songs, take photos, make movies and videos in ways that are more exciting for them and I think are more exciting for us and I think is a more interesting way to spend our days in school. So that's what I've got for you this week. Thanks for listening. My name is Bill Selleck. This has been me talking.